So this morning, uh, we are going to continue. We're picking up in Acts where, uh, well, we're going to cover Carl last week talked about um, uh, Saul on the road to Damascus. We're going to cover some of that plus a little bit more this week. Um, kind of cover some of the grand ground. So if you want to follow on your Bible, we're going to start in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 this morning is where we'll be. The words will also be on the screen above. Let me, uh, let me say a prayer for us, and we will uh, we'll open up the scripture together. Jesus, we, we come here, uh, we come here this morning, Jesus, we do want to, we want to encounter you, we want to hear from you. We as a community, uh, we come uh, and we open up our hearts now. We open up our minds to listen for your voice. We trust that you, uh, by your spirit, will speak to us through this scripture, and we bring our whole selves this morning. We bring, we bring our whole selves, we bring uh, uh, what's coming up in this week, things we're excited about, things we're nervous about. Uh, we, co- we come bringing, uh, you know, on this Father's Day, we bring all sorts of things. We bring celebration about Father's Day, we bring joy about Father's Day, we bring regrets about Father's Day. We bring our whole selves to you this morning. And we ask, Jesus, we don't want to play, we don't want to be part of a religious club or play religious games, but you, uh, the true um, king of the universe, we desire uh, to place ourselves open before you. So meet us and speak to us now. In your name, amen. So Acts 9, let me, uh, let me read. This is, uh, this is Saul, the persecutor of Christianity on the road to Damascus. Luke tells the story this way. It says, Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, and that was what they called those who followed Jesus at this time, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles 
and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, oftentimes when we... uh, when we read this account, we hear this account, we study this account, we refer to it as the calling of Saul. Or the call, Saul is later known as Paul. Same person, Saul and Paul. So the calling of Saul, calling of Paul, better call Saul. The, the calling of Saul. But, and the focus is on this one character. But, in, uh, but in, as you read it, there's actually two callings here. The call of Saul and the call of Ananias. Two parallel callings. In both of them, in both of these accounts, Jesus appears to the person. In both of these accounts, Jesus speaks to the person, calls their name. In both of these accounts, the person responds with a question or an objection. In both of these accounts, Jesus says, go and do X, Y, Z. Two callings to two different men. And so there's a similarity. But at the same time, there's a similarity. We see um, there's a similar calling, but at the same time, they're very different men in very different circumstances. Saul, is, he is the elite of the elite. Saul is like the, the valedictorian of Princeton. He, he is, I mean, he's traveled the world. He grew up in Tarsus, then came to the capital city of his people, Jerusalem. He studied under the best rabbis there. I mean, kind of the best possible school. He was one of the best students. And then he has this kind of letter of recommendation from the Supreme Court. He is known by the most important, powerful circles in Jerusalem. This is Saul, this talented, elite man. And then you have, on the other hand, you have Ananias. This is the only time Ananias comes up in Scripture, right? The only other time he comes up is when the story is retold. We don't know anything before this or anything after this. And, and actually, when the story is retold in Acts 22, all we hear, it says that he's a devout, he's a devout man, um, well-known in Damascus. So it, it's kind of like he's a good, he's a good stand-up guy. People, people trust him. He's a, he's a, he's a stand-up guy. And um, in, in Ananias' interaction with Jesus, he, he has this little comment where he says, we, I've heard about what Saul's doing in Jerusalem. And that seems to imply that it, he hasn't seen Saul in Jerusalem. So Ananias probably isn't one of the Christians from Jerusalem who were persecuted and fled. He's probably from Damascus. So he's this ordinary guy living in his hometown. People respect him, but there's nothing extraordinary about him. I mean, if there was something extraordinary about him, Luke, the author, would have told us. So on the one hand, you have, you have this talented elite of the elite, Saul. On the other hand, you have this ordinary Ananias. And then even what the, 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 the instructions, the calling that Jesus gives to both of them is very different. I mean, do you, do you notice Saul, he goes, Jesus talks to Saul, and, and eventually Jesus says to Saul, he says, Saul, I want you to go to the nations. I want you to go to all the nations and announce the good news about me. I want you to go to your, the, the chosen people, the Israelites. I want you to tell them about me. Saul, I want you to go before the kings of the world and tell them the good news of forgiveness and the defeat of death. Ananias, I want you to go down the street. Pray for a guy. 
Don't want, I want you to go before the kings of the world. I want you to go down the street. These two, both called by Jesus, but two very different men and two very different callings. When I, uh, when I, when I, when I think about this, when I, when I read through this account, um, what I find it doing in me is I find it forcing me to reflect on the things I'm called to in my own life. What are my callings? If these are the things that Jesus called these men to, what does Jesus call me to? And I found myself, myself thinking about that. I found myself thinking about this role, this public role. You know, there's, some, there's some, some things that we've been called, some things I'm called to, that it's very public, it's very seen. I feel like part of my calling in this season is to regularly teach Scripture in a public setting. So there's these, these kind of public upfront callings. And yet I also have other callings too. I have callings like make sure that the, 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 the tires of the stroller are pumped up. A more unseen calling. Or, or memorize the lyrics to let it go. Which used to be unseen, but it's more public. But, we, but these different, you know, we have different types of callings in our life. And so I guess as we enter into this story together, my question for you to take a moment and reflect on me, what are your callings? What are the different things you are called to do in this season, whether large or small? The things that Jesus has put in your life to faithfully do. I believe that how we think about the callings of Saul and Ananias, how we think about their callings will be directly connected to how we think about the things Jesus has called us to. And so this morning, I want to take some time to think through Saul and Ananias' callings, and hopefully that will guide us in how we think about the things Jesus has called us to here and now. There's a quote by uh, author N.T. Wright uh, that I think really captures the heart of this scripture uh, that we read. He says, part of Christian obedience is the call to play great parts without pride and small parts without shame. There are, of course, no passengers in the kingdom of God and actually no great or small parts either. The different tasks and roles to which God assigns us are his business, not ours. What are the things God has called you to? What are the tasks that he has played, the parts that he's placed in your life to faithfully carry out? So I want to look now at Saul's call and Ananias' call and kind of talk through this. The first one we're going to look at is Saul's call. This idea, this idea as N.T. Wright says, that we're called to play the great parts without pride. The great parts with humility. 
Saul, as I said before, he's the elite of the elite. He is the best of the best at the, 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 the theological school in Jerusalem. Now he knows the, the circles of power there. And, and Saul, when Jesus encounters him, Saul has a pride issue that Jesus needs to deal with. Here's a man with this violent, selfish ambition that Jesus needs to deal with if Jesus is going to give him this part that Jesus has for Saul. And you notice, do you notice what Jesus takes Saul through right away? I mean, think about Saul's immediate experience after encountering Jesus. He's blinded. He's blinded. He's made, he's made powerless. He loses the power of sight. He's literally like a child has to, be, has to hold someone's hand and be led down the road to Damascus. Then he, he ends up in this, this room in Damascus. He's blind, it's dark, he can't see, he's not eating, he's not drinking. And he's in this room by himself for days. And he doesn't even know how many days it's going to be. When, when Jesus sends Saul to Damascus, he says, go there and wait until you find out what to do next. Doesn't even know how long it's going to be. He's just waiting there. Waiting for us. I mean, it's almost like it's almost like we, you know, in Christianity we talk about being born again. It's almost like this metaphorical womb that Saul is put in. It's dark, no food, no drink, and he doesn't know when he's going to get out. Or, or it's almost like we talk about being spiritually risen from the dead. It's almost like this metaphorical tomb that Saul's put in. It's he's blind, and it's this powerless, vulnerable situation. He doesn't know when, when it's going to end. And in fact, I wonder if in the back of Saul's head, he's wondering, he, he knows that he was coming to get the Christians, and now here he is, he can't even see, he's in this room. I wonder if in the back of Saul's head is this concern that maybe the Christians are going to come after me now. And here he is, it's, it's a vulnerable, helpless, powerless situation that Saul is in. I mean, right away, he's put in a situation where he has to trust what Jesus has told him to do, he has to trust. And even when Ananias comes up and prays for him and he regains his sight, one of the first things Ananias says to him is, you are going to have to suffer. You are going to have to sacrifice on behalf of Jesus and others. That for Paul, that for Saul, this selfish ambition, this need to control, this pride has to be stripped away if he is going to faithfully carry out the great part Jesus has for him. I think, uh, I think oftentimes in our world, uh, when, Jesus, when Jesus gives people great talent, when Jesus gives people great gifts, when Jesus calls people to great responsibility, oftentimes Jesus has to deal with issues of pride, issues of, of prideful identity that we've built for ourselves. Those things are going to need to be stripped away if we're going to faithfully use that gifting, if we're going to faithfully carry out that responsibility that Jesus has given us. And I think oftentimes, those, in those areas of gifting, those areas of responsibility that Jesus has given us, for us to faithfully carry that, Jesus has to strip that pride away. And oftentimes, for many of us, that stripping away is a painful experience. As he shapes us into the men and women of humility who can carry these things out in faithfulness. When uh, I when I was uh, first out of school, 
Christina and my wife and I were living in Colorado and I was working in a ministry there. One of the things I felt like I was, I was supposed to be doing is teaching, um, preaching. And we were part of a, a, an evening service where every week I would speak regularly for a couple years. And over these years, as my mid-twenties, I had the continual impression, my perception regularly was that I was failing in that role. I had this idea in my head what success looked like, and regularly I felt like I was not living up to that. I was failing in this role of speaking, of teaching, of preaching. My time in, uh, our time in Colorado wound down and uh, ended up feeling like the next thing for us was to go to uh, grad school at Regent College up in Vancouver. And so ended up going up to Vancouver. And um, in one of the first classes at Regent College I was in, it was the first week of class, and I'm sitting there, and I, was still, I still had this, this hurt from the season of perceived failure. And uh, Professor Rick Watts, he was talking about, um, he was talking about the privilege it is uh, to even attend grad school like that. And he was talking about that, um, just the, you know, how, how, you know, the privilege it is to have the wealth and the time to be able to do something like this. And then he went on to talk about um, the responsibility. And he, talk, he was talking about preaching particularly. He said, you know, preaching, one of the great temptations in preaching is the temptation to pride. And he said this line, he said, because the danger is that over time... That the preacher begins to believe their own voice is the voice of God. And in that moment, I had this, uh, because I was still processing through this pain of perceived failure, and I felt like Jesus said to me, he said to me, Tim, that is what I'm trying to protect you from. That there's this, there's this uh, stripping away that Jesus needed to do in my own heart this protecting from pride that Jesus needed to do in my own heart if he was going to call me into a role like teaching. And I believe for all of us that in those areas where we are gifted, where we're talented, where we're called to responsibility, that oftentimes there's a, Jesus has to deal with our pride if we're going to carry those things out with faithful obedience. And oftentimes that experience can be painful. So I wonder for you this morning, I wonder for you, if Jesus came and sat down with you this morning, and he was talking with you about the places where he's gifted you, where, he, where he's given you talent, where he's given you responsibility, if he was talking to you about that, what would he say to you about where your heart is at? What would he say to you? What questions might he ask you about that? Or if Jesus was sitting with you this morning, and he was talking to you, and maybe you were sharing with him about some recent painful experiences about the, around those areas of talent or responsibility, what might he say, what might Jesus say to you about how he is hoping to shape your heart through those painful experiences? What might he say to you about that? What kind, the kind of man and woman, man or woman, he is hoping to shape you into. In the kingdom, we are called to play the great parts without pride and the small parts without shame. So I want to move now and I want to look at Ananias for a moment. So Ananias, 
Ananias, his problem was not this prideful, selfish ambition. His problem was he was scared. He was scared. Jesus says, Ananias, go down the street and pray for this guy. And what's Ananias' response? Uh, Jesus, do you know who you're talking about? Because I've heard what he was doing to follow your followers in Jerusalem. And you know, he's come here to arrest people, Jesus. And I, you know, I understand. I mean, Ananias is scared and, and I understand that reaction. But what does Ananias expect Jesus is going to say to that? Oh, you're Ananias, you're right. I got, you thought I said Saul. I said the tall guy, not Saul. You're right, Ananias. I got, I mean, what's he think? And Jesus says it a second time. He's like, Ananias, go. I go down the street and pray for him. But in the midst of Ananias' timidity, in the midst of his fear, I love the way Scripture frames the story. I love that even in the midst of that, I love the way Scripture frames Ananias. That, uh, Jesus shows, catch this, Jesus shows up, he says, Ananias. And Ananias' response is, he says, yes, Lord. Or more literally, he says, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. And that may not seem like a big deal. Here I am. But uh, Acts, the book that we're reading, Acts comes to us in Greek. Uh, but most of the, the Old Testament scriptures, those are in Hebrew. And in the Hebrew scriptures, the equivalent phrase, here I am, has a, it's an important phrase in the Hebrew Bible. Here I am in Hebrew is the phrase hineni. Some of you might have heard that before. Hineni. Here I am, hineni. Can you say hineni? Hineni. When God showed up to Abraham and called Abraham to be the father of a new nation to bless the world, do you know what Abraham said? Let me hear you say it. When God showed up to Jacob and was going to give Jacob a new name, Israel, you know how Jacob responded? When God showed up to Moses and was going to invite Moses to rescue his people out of slavery in Egypt, what did Moses say? When God showed up to Samuel and was going to call Samuel to be a great prophet and the anointer of the King David, do you know what Samuel said? When God, when God revealed himself at the temple to a vision to Isaiah and told Isaiah, Isaiah, here's your commission to preach my message to the nation, Isaiah said, and when God showed up to ordinary Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go down the street and pray for a guy. Ananias said, Hineni, here I am. In the kingdom of God, ordinary Ananias hit this small part, this ordinary task, this unseen role is placed in the line with Abraham and Moses and Samuel and Isaiah. Jesus says, you want to know how I see Ananias' faithful obedience? It is in line with the greatest of greats in my story in the world. When, when, when small, ordinary, mundane tasks, when we, when we carry those parts out with loving, faithful obedience to King Jesus, it places you in line with Abraham and Moses 
and Samuel and Isaiah, when you say, Hineni, here I am, I'll do it. In the kingdom, in Jesus' eyes, there is no act, no, 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 no task, no part that is so small that it goes unnoticed, uncelebrated, and unvalued by King Jesus. He sees it. When people carry it out and say, here I am, I will do it because you are my king, Jesus. It is seen, it is valued, and celebrated. My question, I guess, for us then is what are the small tasks that you feel called to in this season? What might Jesus be saying to you this morning about those? About how he sees them? About how he values them? about how he sees you while you're carrying them out. Because the danger is, if we don't see it the way Jesus is, I think there's a danger that we come to despise and look down on the small tasks, the small parts. Sometimes in in church culture, we can use language like, we want to change the world, we want to be revolutionary, we want to be radical for Jesus. And there is good and value in saying those things, but part of the danger of that kind of language is that if it's not changing the world, that we look down on it. We don't value it. And small, ordinary, mundane, unseen acts of faithful love to Jesus don't get done. And Jesus says, when you do those things, I see them and they put you in line with Moses and Abraham and Samuel and Isaiah. I pray that we would be a community that celebrates the small things. I pray that we would be a place that has a value that small is big that we celebrate the small things, that we thank the small things. I mean, what if, here's, here's a challenge for the next week, the next seven days. Sometime in the next seven days, you are going to come across someone who is carrying out some small act of faithfulness for Jesus. Sometime in the next seven days, you're going to come across somebody who's doing some ordinary, unseen thing out of faithfulness, out of faithful love to Jesus. What if every one of us in this room didn't just kind of cruise past us? What if every one of us stopped to really celebrate that this week? To genuinely say thank you and offer the kind of dignity to that that Jesus does. Could we do that? Would you do that? Here's the deal. I'll do that if you do that. Let's do it. That we, that we be the kind of place that celebrates small is big in Jesus' eyes. N.T. Wright says, part of Christian obedience is the call to play great parts without pride and small parts without shame. There are, of course, no passengers in the kingdom of God and actually no great or small parts either. The different tasks and roles to which God assigns us are his business, not ours. 
So my question, my question uh, for us to wrap up with is this. I guess just as you, as you walk out of here this morning, my question for you would be, what, who do you find yourself identifying with today? In the season you're in, in the week you're in. Where do you find yourself identifying? Do you find yourself identifying more with Saul? This, uh, the, the wrestling through um, the, the, this responsibility, or maybe you feel like you've been placed in a role that's bigger than you, and kind of your ego and pride is getting mixed into that, and you feel like Jesus is wanting to talk to you about that. Is that where you feel yourself identifying this morning? Or do you feel yourself identifying more with Ananias today? Being called to some small, unseen tasks that, that, just it's, that it's easy to look down on, and you hear Jesus speaking to you today about the value of those things in his kingdom. Who do you find yourself identifying with? And here's the great thing. That, that Jesus, he leads the way in both of these for us. He leads the way in, in living the great part with humility and living the, the small part with great dignity. He leads the way in that. I mean, he played the greatest part. He was the son of God come to earth to rescue the world. There's not many parts above that one. And yet he comes, he comes playing that part, washing his friend's feet. And on the cross, he pulls together the, most, the highest responsibility of calling, Rescuing humankind from sin and death. And he pulls that together with the most shameful, sacrificial act possible. Dying on a cross. He played the greatest part with the most humility. It wasn't about him at all. It was about those that he loved. And at the same time, he played the great part with humility. At the same time, there was no task beneath Jesus. Too small for him. He says, when, when the children, when, they, when parents wanted their kids prayed for, and the disciples said, he's too busy, Jesus said, I'm not too busy bring the kids. Let me pray for them. When, when, when he's walking through town, walking through Jericho, and the crowds are, Jesus, ah, beaver fever, and everybody wanted to be with Jesus, and then there's a blind beggar on the side of the road. Jesus stops the whole procession and says, stop, I need to talk to Bartimaeus for a minute. There's no task beneath him. And he did this. He played the great part with humility and the small part with didn't he? He did this and he brought it together on the cross to rescue us from sin and death and evil. And he did it to give us the pattern, the life that is truly life, that we too can live as we lean into his powerful presence, the Holy Spirit, here and now. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, uh, I pray for us together now. And we do. We, in this room, uh, we have a multitude of things you've called us to. And some are, uh, they, they feel very upfront. They feel like big responsibilities feel like big giftings. Um, we thank you for those, and yet at the same time, we recognize uh, the temptations in those. And some of the callings, Jesus, feel very small and very unseen. Yet we also recognize the dignity that you give to us. 
Jesus, would you empower us to be faithful wherever we find ourselves? In your name, amen.